Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Las Vegas, Nevada, where today is Memorial Day, May 29th, 2023. And I'm joined from Boston, uh, where just uh, the other morning I was leaving through the Buffalo Airport and I saw the Boston Celtics JetBlue Airplane, branded Boston Celtics just JetBlue Airplane, uh, on my way out, joining me. Is Jesse Collins? Are the Boston Celtics still in the NBA playoffs? Uh, yes. Not only are they still in the NBA playoffs, they are playing a Game Seven against the Miami Heat tonight, Monday night. Tonight, um, which will run, of course, head to head with Monday Night Raw, which is probably not great for potential Raw uh, rating on Monday morning or coming out Tuesday. Yes, this is so disorienting to, to think that this is a Monday and I'm doing the Wrestling Alex podcast. Um. Golo is is in North Carolina, I think, uh, ex- exploring uh, the state. Anyway, let's say. Um, so I'm. I've. This is my first time ever being in the Pacific Time Zone. It is currently. I don't know. My computer is still on Eastern Time, so it's eleven minus three in where I am officially. It's seven o'clock. Um, we're going to talk about Double or Nothing. We're going to talk about Saudi Arabia. Again, for the um, the ninth of no wait, for the fifth. How many? No, there's no. There's twenty shows in the entire deal. For the ninth of twenty times, we will talk about WWE's relationship with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, and um, we'll talk about quite a bit about the uh, AEW press conference, which I was there for, and even maybe some some. We will talk somewhat about Tony's comments and the media call that happened on Thursday before Double or Nothing. So. Uh, did you watch Double or Nothing on pay-per-view, Jesse? I did. I ordered it on the, the venerable BR Live streaming app. Okay. An um, official pay-per-view purchase? Yes. It, to- it told me that I entered my uh, my uh, CCV on my debit card uh, incorrectly when I tried to order it, but then still somehow allowed me to order it anyway. That um, sounds like Bleacher Report. Yep. Yeah. So, But I didn't have any problems with uh, streaming or, or buffering or anything like that. It was a nice, clear stream for the entire duration of the show. Okay. I watched it with my own eyes uh, at various locations uh, throughout the T-Mobile arena. Um, I posted some pictures, uh, one of uh, the panoramic view. I wonder if people, uh, we can probably, I have the slide here, right? Um, I I hope people think that I have like an amazing camera and an amazing, you know, uh, uh, photography skills. I don't. This is just the the pano, the pano um, setting on my iPhone. So more about my iPhone later. Um, so the um, these purple structures that seem to be on both sides yes. of the T-Mobile yes. Arena on structures. On, on television when they would shoot like in the ring and you'd be able to see it like in the top corner of certain angles, they appear yeah. to be like you can't really make out the shape that well. They look like some gigantic luminescent purple house. That yeah, is I don't know what they somewhere are somewhere in the rafters, and it's it was very distracting, and people were. We're talking about it. Eventually, someone live posted. I don't. You don't know what they are. Like, are they just uh, design they, features? Are they? I, I was thinking they might be like special decks for like, like it could be like a cool I, bar I think they're, kind they're, of. I think these are place. these are suites that are that they these are like that's what's on top of these things are suites. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's in what's this going ter- on there. you know in this arena, of course, hosts a lot of you know big boxing matches. UFC runs here a lot, right? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So there's a lot of big money kind of events taking place. So there's a UFC they, logo like permanently up in the 
in the right. upper level there. You did not get, it appears you did not get as good of a seat as Brian Alvarez, judging by this photo. I heard they were in suites. They, they did, this no, is not where they, Chico, media. do you know where the, um, do you know where the green shirt guy for WWE pay-per-views is? No. The guy who wears a smiley face green shirt, uh, right in front, front row, directly opposite the hard cam at every single WWE pay-per-view. I, I've heard something about there's, there are certain fans who are at every WWE no, pay-per-view. You, you don't, you seriously don't, you seriously don't know this guy. He's literally... He's been on your screen for hundreds of hours at this point. He wears a green T-shirt with a smiley face on it. Oh, you don't know he's who no Vlad super fan. He's no ECW hat guy. No, this guy's at every single show. Anyway, the point is, is that Chico was like right across from the uh, hard cam in the front row. And you could look at him the entire uh, duration of the pay-per-view. And then you posted this photo and I said, they clearly didn't give Brandon as good of a seat as, uh, as Brian Alvarez. To be fair, the, the, the seat I was sitting in for this photo- photograph, I was... Um, I was not ticketed for. Um, I did buy. Now let's be clear. Um, I did buy a resale ticket that I, I forget where it was. Didn't didn't sit in the seat. They did comp media uh, as they always do. Uh, so they they sat media where they always sit media, which is like directly opposite opposite side of where the entranceway is, um, and just about in the center, or just you know off a little bit. Um, yes. But clearly by your ability to, to go up into the balcony and take this photo and a seat that you said you were not ticketed for would imply that there was not there were available empty seats in this. Uh, in this there were certainly av- available empty seats. Very, very strict um, security and ushers here at this building. First of all, they would not let me bring my backpack in despite being credentialed media. Um, apparently, this is a T-Mobile thing. They're, they are strict. They are, this is a strict arena. Um, but no, there were... Uh, as I posted, on, you can see them on my Twitter. I don't have them in the slides, but they're definitely on the hard cam side where the hard cam is. Lots of empty seats, just huge, you know, mostly empty sections yeah. there, about two sections. Um, upper level was not full. Um, upper level on the hard cam side was draped. So, I mean, there's thousands of seats up there that just weren't opened at all, that had a big black drape over them. Um, <clears throat> Russell takes describe... last count. Oh, no, no, keep going. Real quick. So Russell takes last count. Um, this is in the spreadsheet anyway. 10,550. Uh, that is not a final count, I assume. Uh, so I assume Russell Ticks will have a final count maybe later. Um, there were discounted tickets on Access, which is the official ticket vendor for T-Mobile Arena. You could, with a, with a coupon code at least, you could get four tickets for $40. So there were discounted tickets happening here. Um, I apologize for referencing on on Friday or Thursday, the, the burger and fries deal, which was fake. Um, comps, I don't know uh, if comps were especially you know bigger than usual. In any case, this is not a sellout. And I doubt it was a million-dollar gate. Tony did not, did not say that it was. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you describe the atmosphere for the show? Oh, good question. So, <clears throat> hot for the Battle Royal, which is the opener. Um, not very hot for everything in between that and the last two matches. Um, the Statlander winning, uh, beating, beating Jay Cargill, very hot. One of the biggest pops of the night when she won. Um, you know, big pops for the big stuff, like when Wardlow jumped off and, and did the senton off the top of the ladder through the, through the table mm-hmm. on the floor, huge pop. Uh, but, but if you, Jesse, had gone up there and jumped off the top of the ladder, but, but that would have got a huge pop too. Um, yeah, and I, and I heard that that was the reaction of, for people watching it, was that the, the crowd did not seem very hot. The crowd was very cold, like um, for, mo- for basically what you described. They, the battle royal, they were into, and then 
they actually seem to come to life a bit during the um the the Taya versus Jade match like it started right when that match started there was a like dueling chance and that was like the first time you really heard that um kind of un un uh, unexpected but they seemed the crowd seemed to be into that more than a lot of the other stuff Chris Jericho versus Adam Cole was just a completely dead crowd no heat from the audience absolutely nothing during the match zero pop for Adam Cole winning um like well, the, the I know finish the, got got booze. And I, I yeah. felt that that was promotion heat for the for people that not like that finish of the, the I, 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 I didn't, I know the match was bad. Um, so I'm not surprised that the crowd like wasn't into it, but for stars of that caliber getting really no reaction, like, like I'm talking like you could hear a pin drop during this match. Uh, it was really surprising. Um, I just, just, you know, even like, you know, when the, even when the announcer was like, and the winner, Adam Cole, like, you, I didn't even hear booze. I heard nothing. And you usually, even in a match that people don't care about, even for a wrestler, people don't really care about, there would be like a level of polite clapping and, and maybe a little cheering when they announced the winner of the match. And that was not, a that, that was non-existent uh, to my ears. For, for cage match at this moment, um, I mean, we're, we're recording on about just after 11 a.m. Eastern. 6.55 is the rating on cage match through 209 votes. That is substantially lower than a usual AEW pay-per-view. Um, you have to go back to it. It's on the level of Revolution 2021, and it's uh, just just a little bit below that. And it's the lowest right now since All Out 2020, which has a 5.8. Yeah, and you know, and for my book, it feels about right. Um, I didn't think that this show was like a terrible wrestling show, but it was clearly below, I think, the um, expected average of AEW pay-per-views. And um, the crowd kind of reacted to that way. Um, I don't know if you could pin that on. The build for the pay-per-view wasn't very good, so these matches didn't feel hot. Um, or just the execution wasn't there. Like, I think in, I Cole, versus Jer- in Cole versus Jericho, I just think the execution was really bad. I thought the storyline for that match was fine leading up to it, but the performances from both guys, I think especially Jericho, um, was like shockingly bad. And uh, I think that really hurt the pay-per-view after a very fun battle royal that was kind of, you know, got the crowd going and had, you know, a nice, a very, you know, good, interesting finish that the crowd seemed to respond well to. Um, And that kind of set the tone for uh, uh, most of the pay-per-view really until Statlander came out. Uh, someone has made the point to me that you know the the best AEW storylines are the ones that are happening off screen. As a you know, so I think there's just a lack of emotional investment in a lot of the stuff that they're that they're showing on on the pay per view. Um, those two last two matches were pretty hot. The stakes were high. I think the the four way build was is not great, but people still treated the title match like it was a high stakes title mm-hmm. match. And, and Anarchy in the Arena was nuts. Yeah, and the, th- the thing about the four-way that really stood out to me in kind of like a negative way in how – not nothing to do with the four-way itself really, but the f- when the four-way started and the guys went out and they just started, you know, doing big moves and wrestling at a crisp pace, it was like the first match on the show where I was like, this feels like an AEW match. This feels like an AEW show of guys going out there, doing big moves, working fast, crowds into, you know, what they're doing. Everything else on the show really was very plotting. Like the trios match, 
that's supposed to be typically kind of a, a fun, fast-paced, um, almost Dragon Gate-style six-man tag match was like this long limb work match where they isolated Anthony Bowens and it wasn't fun. It wasn't like a terrible match. The execution of it was fine, but just the type of match it was, was not the right match for this kind of crowd in this kind of environment. Um, you know, Jericho versus Cole was very plodding. The tag team match was very much a, a, a you know, shenanigans match. Um, although I thought that actually overachieved too. Um, you know, you had the ladder match, which I enjoyed, but was also kind of a plotting match where it's, you know, guys taking a long time to set up moves, as is most ladder matches are going to be, especially a singles ladder match. And so, like, by the time we got to the four-way, I was like, oh, yeah, this is like a normal AEW match. This is what this promotion was built on. Um, and I think that that kind of fun, dynamic, fast-paced performances were largely lacking on the show, especially after you got from the after the Battle Royal ended. Um, and I think it hurt the crowd, and I think it hurt people's interpretation of the, of the pay-per-view. Yeah, I feel like it's kind of indicative of where AEW is right now, in, in that it's not as hot as it as once was, and whatever is happening on screen is, well, for one thing, not not as interesting as what's happening off screen, at least to me. I don't know if other if fans more broadly or critical mass of fans are, are following the news behind AEW uh, for that to matter a ton, but. It's uh, whatever's happening on screen is not connecting emotionally enough for this show to be hotter and for it to sell better, too, at least in terms mm-hmm. of ticket sales. We don't know what it did on pay-per-view. No one, no one asked. Uh, I asked two questions in the press conference. I didn't ask, um, partly because I don't know that we're getting really reliable information in the couple last couple times we did get, get numbers in the press conference. Um, so let's see. So did you listen to the media call on Thursday with Tony? Uh, I didn't. I read a recap of it, but I have. I can't say I've listened to the media call itself. So the the big news uh, is is coming out of the the news the media call. Tony Khan. Uh, I asked him if Dynamite and Rampage have been renewed in you know, coincidence with the addition of AEW Collision, and this is what he said on Thursday: the scope of the deal as it is, the length is the same. And I don't want to get too deep into those conversations, but I would say the length of the term is the same. And this is an addition to what we already put together. Um, there was a more talk along the, these lines last night at the, uh, the press conference. Uh, I think Dave Meltzer asked him a question about collision and the length. Um, he said he's not supposed to get into it, into it too much, but uh, the time left is the same duration. Uh, I take this to mean that, AW's TV deal did not change in terms of length. So it's going to expire this year, December, or next year, December, if, if WBD picks up the option. I strongly suspect they will. Um, but it's, there certainly has not uh, been a new deal put in place between AEW and WBD, uh, which is what we expected by the time we recorded last week. Um, no new deal. Additional show. And I did ask him on the presser last night. Did you get more money for Collision? And in not so many words, he said, yes. There's additional revenue to go along with the additional show because it's going to cost them tens of millions of dollars annually to put on an extra weekly show. Um, yes. So they're getting paid more. Don't know how much, but they're getting paid more. It's the same timeline deal beginning January 2020, ending either December 2023 or December 2024. So a renewal between Warner Brothers Discovery and AEW 
has not taken place. They have modified their current deal. Do you think that a collision's existence has any relation to the Writers Guild of America strike? No, I doubt it. I'd be surprised because this is probably something. I mean, when did we start to hear murmurings of this this happening? Or a better question might be, when was the trademark filed? Um, I think that was like Marchish or something like that, and that's mm-hmm. pretty far away from the WGA strike, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I have I didn't I wasn't following the WGA strike at the time. I assumed that there was uh, a belief that they could potentially strike, you know, dating back quite a while. Right. Um, so usually they don't just strike overnight. BGA strike uh, started on May 2nd, but who knows how long in advance it was, you know, expected right. to happen. Um, and, I, and again, I don't know how many properties on TBS and TNT are impacted by the writer's strike. As we know, they've really gotten away from scripted series and, um, you know, over the last few years. Um, but part of me thinks that Collision kind of, did kind of come to While you did say, you know, they trade, filed the trademark back in March. It did February kind of come 15. To, I'm looking at yeah. the filing now. February 15, 2023 mm-hmm. is when they f- first filed um, for AWP. But it still kind of came together relatively quickly. And the fact that it's only, seems to only have a contract for 18 months, if we believe what Tony said about the length of the deal not ending. Um, would seem to imply it may be seen as almost a short, in some ways, a short-term solution to producing content during a time period where it might be difficult for the Warner Bros. Discovery umbrella um, altogether to produce content. I, I think if you, I, I mean, I'm not an expert on what, what, what other scripted programming is out there, but since Zaslav has taken over in, in WBD, they've, they've cut, I want to say they've cut a lot of scripted programming. The few scripted programs that they had left for those networks, at least some of them have gone away. Um, and I, I'm guessing they, they look at wrestling. And um, Tony did say on Thursday that it was, it was David Zaslav's idea. David Zaslav literally came to them and said, we want to have more wrestling, more hours he's on, the, on TNT. He's the anti-Jamie Kellner. We'll see about that. Um, and uh, but, but, but he beat... But it, my, my impression is that they view wrestling as economical programming, that it's probably a lot cheaper for them to give AEW whatever incremental payment they're going to give them, tens of millions of dollars a year to cover the tens of millions of dollars a year in expense, maybe a little bit extra, um, versus doing another snow piercer or what? I don't, I don't know what the snowfall. I don't know. You you name name the, uh, the Snowfall TV. is an FX show, but Snowpiercer okay. was a TBS and TNT show. They're advertising some sort of uh, new show on TNT. It looks very expensive. Um, I forget what it's called, but it involves time travel of some point. Um, and they've been advertising it a lot over the last few weeks. I've noticed it during uh, Dynamite. Uh, and it looks very expensive. And I was thinking, like, I thought they got rid of all these, you know, expensive shows. Yes, it's called The Lazarus Project. Okay, that um, sounds familiar. And that is yeah, that so is a, a show that is actively running on TNT. It is new. Um, new. So it, it hasn't a, debuted it is yet. A, um, it has not debut, debuted yet. It is an eight-hour series that is going to debut on August. Uh, no, it was announced last August. Um, okay, so some scripted June programming 16th. is still around. June 16th. June 16th. It has an eight-episode series uh, on June 16th. Um, um, a, a, another point I want to make here about Collision is I can see 
I mean, for, for one thing, let's just just to set the table a little bit. There were reports uh, leading up to the. I, WWE I, I'm sorry, Brandon. I was just, I was just completely wrong. The Lazarus Project aired last year and was renewed for a second season. That's coming out this year. Okay, but be being renewed. Um, so le- leading up to the WBD upfront, there were reports that there was going to be a new deal, a whole new, brand new deal announced um, between WBD and, and AEW. That that didn't happen. There were rumors that it was going to be a billion dollar deal. Um, you know, looking at it now, I think I might have said it at the time, but I, that there's it makes a lot of sense it, from WBD's point of view. Why would you lock yourself into an additional five years? That hasn't even started. That's not going to start for a year and a half. There's a guy with the leaf blower outside, right outside my window right now. If you can hear that, um, why it's would you lock yourself? Why would you lock yourself into a five-year deal or a four-year deal to include a show, AEW Collision? That's in terms of a rating is an unknown quantity, as opposed to letting it be around for six months or for a year and a half, and to see what kind of rating it delivers, and then you know its value. Right. It makes sense. Just like how most TV seasons are ordered for a pilot before you commit to a, a longer deal. And uh, Tony did say, somebody asked him, what he thinks the AEW Collision can do for a rating. Do you recall this this moment, Jesse? Yes. He says he believes it can beat what episodes of Dynamite that have aired on, preempted have aired on Thursday or on Saturdays. It, he believes it can do better than the best Dynamites that have been preempted to Saturday. So I looked those up. He's referring to so the I believe the last time oh he's right outside my window now the, the last time AEW Dynamite was preempted to a Saturday I believe is October twenty twenty one so that's early in the the punk run um, this is it's being preempted for for early NHL regular season games right um, this is this is the infamous West Coast speculation oh is the West Coast uh, time change whatever um, anyway this is on Saturday point two eight in the demo. And a 0.22 in the demo. So the 0.28 did 727,000 viewers. The 0.22 did 575,000 viewers. Um, long story short. I mean, if you want to adjust for time and say, well, that, that was like two years ago going on. Yeah, going on two years ago. Um, maybe adjust for uh, cable attrition and whatnot. But in any case, I, I would be shocked if beyond the first month or two, EW Collision is doing anything in the neighborhood of a point three eight, maybe even a point. So that's basically what Dynamite is doing. Point three two this past Wednesday, not going against NBA playoffs, but yeah, it's it's doing in the low three O's, the high two O's. Very optimistic take from from Tony Khan. Do you, do you what do you think you can do for a rating? I think I've modeled it at like, uh, and maybe I'm being conservative, but a point one five. Yeah. I think, I think like when it first starts, it will do probably bigger than what it ends up doing. And Rampage, uh, of course, the, even if you leave out the punk episode, Rampage did really well at first. Mm-hmm. I, I think it can do probably somewhere between a, like a point one eight and a point two zero, maybe sitting or sitting right around there. I think the effort, cons- sincere effort, has to be put in and consistently put into the idea that. Collision is a, as important as dynamite. I, you need to see significant storyline progression. You need to see, uh, you know, big matches given away on on collision, just like big matches are given away on dynamite. Need to create the idea that if you want to see important stuff happening in 
AEW, you have to watch Collision in addition to watching Dynamite. Ultimately, Rampage was sunk by the idea that you really could skip it every week because everything really important happened on Dynamite. Rampage was just filler. Maybe there was like a mid-card feud that mainly took place on Rampage, but you didn't have to, The you know, the world title match program was never being really explored on Rampage after a certain point. Certainly wasn't being defended on Rampage at a certain point. You know, Chris Jericho storylines didn't really take place, don't really take place on Rampage that much. Um, you know, John Moxley storylines. Yeah, sometimes he wrestles a match on Rampage, but everything you really need to see from the Blackpool Combat Club or the Elite takes place on Dynamite. MJF, never on Rampage. So you have to create consistent interest in Collision, and that's going to ultimately tell you how well it's going to do, because I, I think naturally a lot of fans think here Collision, and they're going to think like, oh, it's another Rampage, which means that you don't have to watch it. I think that explains some of the poor... Um, ticket advances for collision so far. Um, but I think you have to, this is like another attempt at rampage. Like rampage is a failure. Here's an attempt yes. to do something else. It's, it's an attempt to, to wipe the slate clean and say, all right, we have to rebrand entirely. And, for, and let's do yeah, it again. And, and maybe rampage is doing good for what the expectations for it are. Um, but the, I, this is an attempt to create another major show. Um, and, it has to be handled better than the way they've handled Rampage. So David Zaslav loves wrestling, um, but uh, so I guess we can go through the um, a little bit more through through the press conference. Um, by the way, if you want to submit a super chat, if you're listening or watching live on YouTube, you can hit the super chat button, and we will answer your question or comment um, before the end of the show. Um, so let's. Uh, I've got I've got some notes we can quickly go through here. Uh, there, th- this was more wrestlers, you know, in quantity. Then, then I think I I can remember on, on, on an AEW press conference we had MJF, Chris Statlander, Orange Cassidy, Tony Storm, Brian Danielson. All before Tony was um, Tony took a lot of questions. Um, it was I, I had I had Tuesday Night Titans vibes as as Tony brought brought on guest after guest here, um, and he just did sort of the false okay I'm ready for questions and then MJF storms in, which is uh, something that's happened before. Um, any, uh, let's see here. M- MJF said that he thinks that the idea of a, of a last match main event is dead. Uh, he called New Japan an indie fed. That's all I'm going to call out. If you have anything else there, interrupt me. Um, everyone applauded Chris Statlander. Um, she took a lot of questions about her recovery. Orange Cassidy uh, came in. Orange Cassidy was pretty funny in this situation. I don't, I don't know if, if uh, you agree. Um, I think, um, I think the wrestlers um, are not like. With the exception of Brian Danielson, who's there, who gives it much more out of character, you know, mm-hmm. answers and is, is answering bigger questions about things. Um, the wrestlers are, are mostly all in character, and Tony Storm, the media me- probably the me- more than anybody. And, and oh, MJF, yeah, yes. and you know, Orange Orange was in character too. Um, like yes. and like or- Orange and, and MJF are very entertaining. Like you know, it's funny, but. It's not like really interesting at all from like a- Orange Cassidy was asked at one point, are, "Do you think you're one of the best wrestlers in the world?" And he said, "No, not even not close. even not even <laughs> not even close." Yeah, Orange was very Orange was very good, and it was kind of impressive that he could stay in character while fielding questions that he presumably did not know in advance. Yes. Um, the, the only newsworthy thing I, I got out of the Orange Cassidy thing is he he said he would like to wrestle Zack Saber Junior. So that maybe that's a preview of Forbidden Door. Yeah, he kind of. 
called out Zack Sabre Jr. for, which is weird because you think Brian Danielson versus Zack Sabre Jr. would be a, the Forbidden Door match since that was mm-hmm. supposed to take place last year. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like the wrestlers don't really want to answer any questions um, out of character for the most part, with the exception of Danielson. And I got the sense there, the media members talked, talked quite a bit about her recovery. That's true. I, I got the sense like the media members that want to ask questions in character were the people mainly asking questions to the wrestlers and the uh, the more uh, news focused reporters had more questions for Tony. Yes, although we did have a child who asked Tony, I don't know, a, a question. He asked about Tony like he set up Tony to talk about the entire history of Double or Nothing. Yes, um, which which we definitely needed. Um, yeah. Brian Danielson talked about Brian Dixon, who just passed away, the, the UK promoter. Um, he he talked some about his his work with Tony and in, in creative, and how they have they kind of have the same ideas and riff off each other's ideas. Um, a lot a lot of teasing. It looks like maybe we're going to get a Nigel McGuinness versus Brian Danielson match somewhere down the road, maybe at All In. Jesse rubbing his hands together for this. I'm, I'm, so I'm, 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 I'm so excited. I loved it when uh, you know I think it was it was a British reporter asked about. Nigel yes, from, from what culture? Yeah, and Daniel, Danielson said, when I look at Nigel McGuinness, I think of him and I, say, I think or maybe I would Stephanie break. Chase. Yeah, anyway. I think it was Stephanie Chase. And yeah. uh, he says, if, when I th- look at Nigel McGuinness now, I think I would break his neck and I weigh 185 pounds. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm He talks about all the books that he's reading. It's just, it's, it's a, he, reads th- he reads three books at once, Brandon. Did you know that? Yes, he does. It's not a good a, way a to read a nonfiction book, a fiction yeah. book, and and poetry. Yeah, not so. a good way to uh, not a good way to read books, by the way. Okay. Um, so then we got into the, the Tony Khan portion, and uh, <clears throat> he was asked about all in and all out. He basically wouldn't comment on it. He was very polite, though, of course. Um, when it comes to an all in broadcast, um, he just he, he talked a little bit about this on Thursday too, and basically what he said on Thursday was that. They're still working on it. Um, I have been softened on my view that this is going to be a show that's going to run on Max in the United States. Um, do you know, Jesse, of any live event, sporting or otherwise, that is aired on HBO Max? I can't Max? think of one. Yeah. So unless that happens soon, I don't think that this is my tentative view. This is not going to air on Max in August. Um, so... On the, we got more talk on the, the collision, the length of the contract, um, which we talked about already. Um, he was asked about crowd reactions by Dave. Um, he confirmed to me that the collision deal means incremental money. Um, he was asked about CM Punk. There was CM Punk mentioned in this press conference, and he just said, I can't tell you that. So he was being asked about whether CM Punk was going to be at the United Center for the first collision. And... Uh, he talked about it in such a way that if it definitely wasn't going to happen, I would think that he would not have uh, answered in the way that he did, saying, I can't tell you that, and he can't get into it. Yeah, obviously, he doesn't want to you know, give away the surprise there. Um, <clears throat> the all-in show is now, according to Tony, past 65,000 tickets sold, roughly, roughly 65,000 tickets sold, uh, well over $8 million for a gate. So Dave chimed in that 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 it's more than um that it's greater than the record because tony had already brought up the you know the cardiff event which he's referring to the clash of the castle which according to w's filings is eight million dollars for a live gate i think dave was calling 8.1 in any case um eight million it's he says it's well over eight million going on nine million so that would be the biggest gate in uk history um 
He expects Jushin Liger to be in Canada for the uh, for he the Martha Hart. Hopes Jushin Liger can come. To yes. Um, he joked at one point that it may be a partnership with UFC is out. He talked about his ratings expectation, which we, which we talked about. Uh, he was asked about Goldberg and whether he's had conversations about Goldberg. He said, yes, he's had conversations about Goldberg. Uh, he didn't want to get into AW related conversations about Goldberg and all access the, the, the show that they ran after dynamite, uh, recently, he doesn't know if it's going to be renewed, but he was, he said lots of positive things about it. So the network was happy with it. Um, lots of applause for all the wrestlers too, by the way, those, those are my well, quick notes that are relevant. A lot of us. people, a lot of people let the wrestlers know that they think they're great. Mm-hmm. They're very happy for them, for their success. Yes. Um, and, and I've, I've, I've been to uh, other press conferences now where the, you know, the, the applause is kind of, I feel like I'm kind of fixating, but the, the applause has been not as universal as the, this was like everybody. You included? You were clapping? No, I didn't. Was Dave I, clapping? I, I had to hold on to my note, but me and Dave were on total opposite ends. I couldn't see him. All right, so you're not going to reveal whether or not Dave Meltzer was clapping or not. Um, I couldn't see. The um, I thought I thought Brian, and this is not necessarily WrestleMomics related, but I thought Brian Danielson's answer on like uh, how do you become like a good wrestler mm-hmm. uh, was very interesting when he talked about how like uh, Daniel Garcia. Um, and how he could probably maybe get over faster in the in the immediacy if he did like cooler moves or you know took more risks or things like that. But the fact that he focuses a lot on the fundamentals means he'll have more longevity in the sense that wrestling now is going to be what's was working in wrestling now will be different in ten years, and you need to have the ability to master the fundamentals and be able to pivot using those fundamentals. Who taught him his fundamentals? Change. By the way, who taught him his fundamentals? Um. Oh, man, it's making me mad that I can't remember the other guy at uh, Grapplers Anonymous. Yeah, um, I, don't, I don't know who who was it. I, I believe it's probably it Chris, probably Chris Jericho, right? He's in the Jericho. It might have been Chris Jericho, side. or maybe it was um, the Montreal guys. Those, those that three point tag team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, they had him too. Um, but uh, anyway, he. Uh, but when he was talking about, like, I thought that was really interesting. He talked about like. Like wrestling While we're on that topic, and... real quick, let me interrupt you. Uh, Chris Jericho threw a fireball into the face of a – I don't know what you would call him. Uh, somebody backstage person. Back, yeah. Backstage hand um, yeah. in, in like an AEW polo shirt. This mm-hmm. is uh, Eric Kubiak who is also a grappler's trainee. I didn't know he was going to be there. So a lot of screen time. A lot of screen time. Yes. Was Puff, was Puff hiding there somewhere in the background? I, I, I don't know. Um, but I think Garcia and, and Kubes, we call him, are our friends. Yeah. So I, I imagine he had a hand in that. I don't know. Give him a brother-brother payday. Um, the, uh, but but back to Danielson's point, like, I found that really interesting when he talked about how, like, wrestling is going to evolve. So, like, if you're doing something that's cool right now, you really have to be able to pivot to, to figure out where wrestling is going so you're ready for the future of when it changes. And he also said something about, like, wrestlers who have success right away are less likely to to make it in the long run because they yeah. learn habits and they get into a groove of a certain way. And they're not ready by that. I was trying, trying to imagine what he, what he meant by that. Like he mean, does he mean like, you know, freakishly muscular people who stand out right away just for, for one example, but people who stand out in, in that kind of way, they tend not to be the people who last and have lasting success. I, I think he, I think he meant it. That's one example. I think, I right. think he meant it in a more general sense of yes. people who are successful right away, immediately doing something are not going to be able to um, pivot 
and reinvent themselves, I guess, and find a new way to get over if whatever they're doing immediately starts to get stale. And, and, and I think the, people- the, the, the decision-making habits of the people who have the decision-making power in wrestling run opposite to that, right? They don't, they don't create a healthy environment for what he's saying, which I generally agree with, maybe strongly agree with. Mm-hmm. The decision-making people don't create an environment in which that sort of thing can be identified and be, you know, nourished. Right. And that's why he, um, it was very, it's very interesting. Like I think about, I've always thought that one of the reasons I think Chris Jericho has had a lot of longevity is because Jericho had to come up with ways for, to get over basically on his own. Um, he was not pushed as a top guy immediately when he was, you know, first signed by WCW and so he had to come up with different characters and personality traits and things to get over with the audience, kind of independent of how he was being booked. And I think that's super too- Liger. He, he had to do Lionheart. <laughs> well, I, and I just think that helps you. That's one of the reasons I think he's been able to kind of reinvent himself and find new characters and, and catchphrases and whatever to get over, you know, over as, as the business continues to change. And I think, he's evolved in a way that's led him to be consistently interesting in a way like someone like Randy Orton has not because Randy Orton was pushed right away as a big star. And because he's in WWE, he's been able to essentially coast off of being presented as a big star for a long time without really having to change his character in any way, shape or form. Um, Not granted, Randy Orton has a tremendous grasp of the fundamentals. So Mm -hmm. under Brian Danielson's, logic you should be able to pivot in any way but obviously he doesn't have to because his career hasn't worked out that way um but i thought it was really interesting when we talk about like talent evaluation and like talent development focusing on like what it means to have longevity in this business um was very interesting and i think like danielson himself is a very i, I would like to see him more in these pressers because he gives very interesting yeah. answers um there was no jericho you know no one connected really at all to the elite or cm punk um, during this presser, you know, there's no Chris Jericho who's it's, it's always been winners. On, I would keep in right. mind if that's sort of a rule. Is it the elite lost almost always? Because I feel like Jericho's on it every time, but I guess maybe not. Um, no Jericho, no FTR, uh, right. no one in the elite, um, no one who, um, you know, Tony got asked a question about CM Punk being on collision. He obviously mm-hmm. didn't give. Um, a clear answer. Um, but no one, no one, none of the talent were really asked about CM Punk. Um, mm-hmm. Do you like where you stand on the CM Punk controversy? Um, yeah. And like the only one you would really ask would maybe be MJF, but he was in character. So he's not going to give you a, a real answer. Um, he's big on, I was gonna say MJF's big on selling the idea that he's bored, which is kind of shifted from him saying that he's going to sign with WWE, but he's giving off the idea that he has no one to beat left in AEW. So that seems to be the pivot of him teasing his jump to WWE instead of saying how much he hates AEW. Okay. Tim B adds a super chat uh, saying Tony Khan blew all of his big stars in two matches, thus hurting the rest of the card. Which I, I think there's something too. And you, you think about the four way, it's got four people in it. You think about the anarchy in the arena that had six or eight, 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 eight wrestlers in it. So, you know, uh, I believe, uh, according to my sources, that four plus eight is twelve. So that I mean, you can nearly put on a whole wrestling show with twelve wrestlers. Yeah, and I, I, I said this. I did a preview for this show with Warren Hayes on his podcast, 
And um, I said, like, you look at if you look at this card, look at who is just in the Anarchy in the Arena match. The Young Bucks, Brian Danielson, Kenny Omega, Hangman Page, Moxley, you know, Claudio and Yuta. You take those people, you take remove that match and disperse all those names throughout this card. You probably have a much uh, more robust, interesting card. Um, and I think there's a real argument to be said that Anarchy in the Arena could get by on perhaps less star power. Um, but this is the major feud. I think this was the Anarchy, you know, it was the main event. It went on last, probably drew... The, the whatever pay-per-view number they drew is probably going to be mainly attributed to interest and anarchy in the arena. Um, so if they, they, they made that Tony made that call, but I think you could definitely make an argument that the star power in that match would be better suited uh, spread out throughout the card. It would have probably made for a much better show. And in hindsight, I think the, the crowd would have been more exhausted if that had gone before the four-way match. So um, just because there was so much happening there, maybe you could have timed differently if you're going to do it the other way around. In any case, okay. Thank you for the super chat. And um, yeah, I, I, I made a note to myself that I should, you know, this is, uh, I'm able to go here because we have subscribers. Um, Tony Khan did not pay for my flight. My, my Southwest card paid for my flight and, and, and this, this hotel too. So I'm going to go to Forbidden Door in Toronto at the end of June. That's just a short two-hour drive from Buffalo. And I'm planning to go to... SummerSlam for Detroit, Detroit for SummerSlam. So this is uh, one way that we're reinvesting your Patreon subscription fees uh, into content. So I thought you were a high roller in Vegas and you were just being flown out and putting in a, 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 a top suite because you're such a, a high roller. They know that you're going to be playing $5,000 hands in poker later. I've not play, I've not gambled any money since I've been here. There have been unending opportunities. Uh, as I posted on Twitter, I and I, this is apparently a very touristy thing to say, but I stepped literally. I stepped off of the walkway into the terminal. The first thing you see in the terminal are slot machines. I, I, I did not expect that that degree of. Um, Okay, you didn't play those slot machines? I did not play those slot machines. Oh, you got to play those slot machines. Those ones are, are rigged to pay out at a high rate because they want you to – I'm sure they're provided by some of the casinos. And you you play a little bit when you step off the, air, the plane. You win early and you're like, oh, man, I got to go – let me go Let me go to one of these casinos and play. I've already won. Right. But the key would be just to play the one in the airport and then take your money and, and spend it uh, elsewhere. Okay, before we move on to the next topic, Chris Ely's uh, Easy Attack says, what – was it just me, or did that AEW press conference seem very cartoonish? This seems by design. Was I think it, when I, you have, I don't think it was more cartoonish than usual. <laughs> um, no. I, do you, do you think? I, I feel like these questions. I mean, the applause aside, I, I think the the questions have gotten better, and there's still like we still did have a child asking a, a very softball question, but it, compared to before. I think things things have gotten better. I mean, I think as pe- more people go to these ones, I mean, I didn't, I wasn't sure. I didn't see, uh, I don't, I wasn't in the room. So like, were there a lot of people there? It didn't, it seemed there like were a lot of people there. there. I, I, I got was there because there, it seemed the like the same, like five or six people asked a majority of the questions. Um, Maybe. I, I mean, I, especially in terms of when the wrestlers were, were talking, there was like a guy from like one nation radio, um, you know, Righteous Reg asked a lot of questions um, from the Grapsy Pod. Uh, Amy Nemedy, is that her name, from WrestleJoy? 
Uh, she asked a lot of the questions. I felt like the same kind of like five or six people were asking a lot of questions about to the wrestlers. Once Tony Tony fielded, seemed like he felt more questions. Um, there, there were more people there than I was expecting earlier in the day because when I got to the to the media seating area, there weren't that many people there, and I was sort of thinking to myself, you know, it's Las Vegas, and it's maybe it's a little more out of the way. Um, but by the time we all got loaded into that press room, that was a full press room. I mean, they, they mm-hmm. set up chairs here, and they set up I don't know twenty or thirty chairs, and it was pretty yeah cool. and i didn't um i don't know what like uh was sean there sean ross app yeah no because yeah i didn't really i'm being called do they want You're me to check out in your hotel room you're in the show i've got to carry the show um but to address chris's question um more cartoonish i don't know i think the wrestlers like mjf is obviously hamming it. Call. mjf yeah, it was, is obviously <laughs> hamming it up right they they in hung his, up in his thing um so he's like more cartoonish. Orange Cassidy is obviously in character. So he's more yeah. cartoonish. Um, Tony Storm was in character. Um, so I think to that degree, I thought, you know, I, I, I don't like the applause. I've, I'm pretty on the record about saying that. I don't like when people also preface their question by telling them how much they like them. They call Brian Danielson their their favorite wrestler or the greatest wrestler ever. I'm sure if I watch the Celtics versus Heat post game show, uh, tonight after game seven, no one is going to say, Jason Tatum, you're my favorite basketball player of all time. And I'm very happy for you. And then ask him a question about the game. I don't think that's going to happen. I think in general, one thing I'll, if I'm giving advice, um, and this, I don't really care what your question is, but this is good advice. Ask a shorter question because multiple times everyone was like, that. what yeah. was your question? Well, oh, some I people forgot. did ask two like, questions, which I think is, if you can get away with it, is, is fine. If they are, yeah, I don't have a problem with that. Conciseness but, is the best way to you don't need a you're at a press conference you don't need a preamble like before and I you think ask with Tony a in particular most part. Mm-hmm. Tony will the more words you say yes the more 100%. chance there is for him to go on a tangent about anything that you say yeah so you the, really should ask Tony like a question that's under 5 words and and if you go to, if you go to other press conferences whether it's a sports press conference whether it's a political press conference and news press conference for whatever. And I've been to a million of them. Um, the questions you should be asking are, you know, who, what, again, who, what, where, when, and why really basic kind of stuff. If you want to ask Tony, like if I was there, I'd ask Tony, like, Tony, do you have an estimate for what the pay-per-view buys were for the show? Um, mm-hmm. You want to ask a direct question and it's hard. It's they give them more answers, but also like the talent literally was like, oh, I'm sorry, what, what was the question? I don't, I don't know what the, I don't remember what you actually asked. Um, in a polite way, they, they said that, but uh, that's just, that's just some advice, I guess. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up zero to one grams of net carbs, five to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Okay, um, moving on. to uh, We had a uh, another major premium live event. Uh, from another company, WWE, had a Night of Champions and uh, live from Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. And the day before, uh, we had a press conference in Jeddah uh, with, with a lot of talent. Um, no media, I don't think. Uh, but we did have this moment from the chief content officer of WWE, Triple H, Paul Levesque, saying his thanks. 
Night of Champions proved to be the fastest selling event here in the history of us coming to Saudi Arabia. So thank you to all of you. I would also like to thank the custodian of the two holy mosques, <clears throat> King Salman bin Abdulaziz Al Saud. His Royal Highness, the Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman bin Abdulaziz Al Saud. And I'd also like to thank the GEA. Without the GEA, none of this would be possible. Their championship effort allows us to be here every single time. Thank you to the GEA. So thank, thank you to the GEA. I forgot to thank the GEA, too, for at the top of this podcast. And um, the GEA is the General Entertainment Authority in correct. Saudi Arabia. Um, that's correct. What is Triple H saying here, Brandon? What is he saying? He's saying, wow, we really love our, our partners here, uh, the General Entertainment Authority, which is a, an entity that's within the Saudi government. We really thank them for their, well, their, their $50 million that they, they're paying us for this with interest. And um, wow, we really like them. We, we love doing business with them, and we love being here. We and he's also, he's also saying that this entertainment, this thing that you wrestling fans – whether in the audience uh, at this press conference or watching at home, this is all brought to you by the wonderful Saudi Arabian government, the GEA, MBS, your leaders. They are responsible for bringing this thing that you love. Championship right? effort. Um, I think it's really um, important to uh, – I know you said this is for the ninth time we're discussing this, but it's really important because – We're going to talk 11 more times. Yeah, they have um, – because they've been going twice a year for now almost five years, mm -hmm. they uh, have largely normalized these shows. They don't feel unusual anymore. And many people who are covering them treat them as normal. I think the two ones that stand out to me are the way Post covers it and the way Pro Wrestling Torch has covered it, which is still under the focus being that these are paid propaganda shows for the Saudi Arabian government. And I always want to remind people that um, the the reason Saudi Arabia is paying WWE the money for this is because they want to use WWE's platform to market the Saudi Arabian government to wrestling fans, which includes you and I and anyone else who maybe is watching a WWE premium live event on Peacock may include anyone who goes to live shows. It may include anyone who just follows on social media. But the Saudi Arabian government is paying for you. They are paying to get your attention onto their government, onto their country. And so when you see Saudi Arabia, you think of, oh, that's the place that has those two WWE shows every year and not the place with egregious human rights violations. And um, um, it's annoying to see so many people in wrestling media cover this like it's oh it's just any other show now and it's it's not it's still bizarre and it is the selling of wwe is happy to sell its audience to the saudi arabian government um with no qualms about it and triple h is happy to go to a press conference and thank the saudi arabian government and let everyone know that it's the saudi arabian government that's bringing this event to you and that you should thank them uh for, for being so generous uh 
And uh, that's, well, that's the Pollock part. I mean, this... I had, John Pollock and I had a, had a conversation with Kareem Zidane, mm-hmm. who who reports on which I strongly recommend politics. Yeah, and he he you know, Kareem was was really knowledgeable, and I thought it was really in, impressive in you know in, in what he knows about this subject. So I would recommend that people listen to that. That's on the Wrestlingomics feed and the Post Wrestling feed and, and our both of our YouTube channels, um, where we had you know a, a really intelligent conversation because of Kareem and John. Um, but uh, if we, we look at the the cage match for Double or Nothing, we better look at the cage match from Night of Champions. Night of Champions sitting at a seven point six here. Better show. Better show according to the cage match rating than double or nothing. So isn't isn't this just a case of an, another issue where WWE and AW fans are are running against each other? Isn't that what this is really about? Isn't it? I mean, there's a lot of blame to go around here, right? It's like you know, if whether it's journal, wrestling journalists giving AEW good reviews, or whether it's you know, W working with a government that kills journalists. I mean, there's there's fault on both sides here, isn't there? No, there's not. I know, I know you're doing a bit, but <laughs> obviously the two things are very different. And you know, whenever I tweet something about Saudi Arabia, people tell me that well, everything's not great in America, so um, you can't fault WWE for going to Saudi Arabia. And, you know, unless I mean, you, you have you a problem see, with them, you don't see um, W doing a show, or you don't see W for one thing doing a show where they're, you know, saying we would like to thank President Joe Biden for his and people chanting Biden, Biden or or yes. Trump or whoever you, you you like less. Um that that would be the equivalent. Um yeah, I'm I'm not gonna make excuses for anything the American government does. Um but that's that that's one of the differences and the money is the other major difference. Um then again, I mean whether it's whether it's John Moxley bleeding every time he gets in an AEW ring, uh or you know, WE expe- ex- accepting hundreds of millions of dollars from an authoritarian totalitarian murderous regime. I think there's, there's, uh, you know, in, in blood money, there's, there's blood issues on both sides of, of this equation. I think you have to admit that at the end of the day. Um, I think that, and I know you don't have an iPhone, Jesse, I know you're in the Google world. Uh, but if you have an iPhone and you're tweeting about, uh, what a problem it is for W to work with, uh, the Saudi government, um, this is another, another criticism that, that people have, uh, been, did saying like how how yeah. can you how can you be critical of the Saudi government when you're using an iPhone that is manufactured in China and hey look China's got a lot of human rights violations look what they're doing with the Uyghurs you can just start there for one thing right the um I do think the that difference being this... that I'm not being paid fifty million dollars by the Chinese government to glorify their leadership. Right. And that's ultimately what the problem with these shows are. If these shows were mainly just shows in Saudi Arabia, um, you know, they like to run in Saudi Arabia because they feel like they can draw there or whatever, like they do with all of their shows in Europe and when they go to South America occasionally and places like that. That would be one thing. But these are obviously bought and paid for shows with the idea that they are creating a, a, a positive impression of Saudi Arabia, really to encourage tourism, because that's really this is, you know, the the. Was it Vision Twenty Thirty? That's the uh, that's the Saudi Arabian yes, government. As the economic um, plan, economic plan, which, which the idea being as the Saudi Arabian economy, which is largely uh, dependent on petroleum, as that becomes, uh, as the world theoretically becomes less dependent on petroleum, Saudi Arabia will need to find other ways to to bring people uh, to make money in its economy, and one of the ways that they're going for is tourism. So they're spending a lot of money on. One of the takeaways, sorry, that I got from the conversation with Kareem is that this is maybe less about 
improving Saudi Arabia's image around the world as it is about establishing Saudi Arabia as a leader within their region, within the Middle East or within Southwest Asia, um, to establish them as a, as a political and economic leader within that area of the world. Right. And they're very competitive with, you know, very competitive is probably too nice of a word with, with places like Qatar and the UAE and other places that have also made large investments in entertainment. Obviously Qatar having the world cup, uh, late last year, uh, being probably the biggest example of, of, of that. Um, the, um, I do think that what has helped these shows become normalized to a lot of wrestling fans is that the last several Saudi Arabia shows have been well received after the first several shows were very poorly received. Um, Obviously better than double or nothing track. according to cage mash right so the idea well that's if we're talking about cage match ratings we have to talk about nxt battleground um nine i think like one two yeah the uh the saudi arabia shows i think during the first several incarnations of them were these like almost weird events that took place in a vacuum where stars wrestlers were coming out of retirement and having these kind of bizarre dream matches between these wrestlers who were in their 50s um and they were just kind of these strange events. And the last few shows that they've had have been more like typical WWE pay-per-view events where major stuff has happened amongst wrestlers who are active on the roster on a regular basis. And, I, I and have, that, that is probably an under, understated part of this story. Is and, and, that has, and that's normalized to these shows more yeah. as opposed to the, the, these like bizarre monstrosities where, you know, Undertaker and Kane is wrestling, uh, coming out of retirement, Shawn Michaels and, and Triple H and these weird and matches Goldberg that is dropping the Undertaker on his head. And yeah, these weird matches that are almost happening in a complete vacuum, which made the, the shows seem more bizarre and odd than they already were. The fact that they're being treated basically the same as as any event that they would be running in the United States from a storyline perspective has probably helped normalize them. And the fact that they're good, they, people they see like them a as, random sumo wrestler for for the greatest Royal Rumble. Right. That's often brought that's brought up because I guess I don't know if it's MBS or someone else in the government. Somebody wanted supposedly, Yoko. This is Yoko, supposedly Yokozuna. They wanted yeah. they didn't realize. So this is the legend. Yeah. Yes. But since Yokozuna has been dead for like 20 years, um, they had to just find a random other sumo wrestler and pretend that he was a Yokozuna like character. Um, I forget his name. Yeah. Um, okay. So I guess, uh, yeah, I, I posted a few things on Twitter and there were about, about the show, including the, the comparison that, um, this relationship is now reached with this show because it's $50 million. And I, I, people forget, people don't know that this is, this is the number $50 million per show not per year per show 50 plus 50 according to my sources is 100 100 million dollars per year and pandemic notwithstanding they do two two shows a year um so 100 million dollars that's in a year like this one about seven percent of w's entire business okay earlier years where they were making a little bit less total revenue it's even higher it's as much as 10 percent when this relationship started um, so it's a huge portion of their total revenue. If you compare it to every WrestleMania ticket ever sold in today's dollars, it's well above that. It's, just, it's about $300 million. Every WrestleMania ticket ever sold, going back to Hulk Hogan, Paul Orndorff, Roddy Piper, and Bob Orton, and Mr. T, and all that. 1985, 39 years, it's about $300 million. This is at $450 million 
within five years. Um, it will be $1 billion when this is all said and done. So I think we're going to end up at multiples of whatever the WrestleMania total would be at that time, yes, just for some frame of reference. The Saudi Arabia deal as a, as like a reference point is much closer to like their deals TV with deal. TV, with the TV deals or Peacock than it is mm-hmm. with like a, a very successful gate like WrestleMania. Right. The, the difference I guess to, to me and to, probably to the lay fan is like that this is, it's just, it's just apparently an event though. There's no distribution that's happening. Right. That's part of this. It's not like, no, it's selling. It's this. It's to sell the Saudi Arabia government to the wrestling fans. It's advertising. Um, there's like I was reading. Um, I was reading a book. Um, it's it's called. Um, I want to make sure I get the title right. Um, I'm gonna get it wrong. That's gonna make me mad. Oh, okay. It's, so it's called the Club. It's by Joshua Robinson and Jonathan Clegg, and it's about the history of the English Premier League. And it talks about how the um, the UAE, the Emirates government, purchased Manchester City and pumped a bunch of money into Manchester City to make it, you know, the most dominant club in England, which succeeded in doing. This is not Man United, which might be bought by the Qataris. No, that's a well. The Qataris also own a a French club and have done basically the same model as. Manchester. But basically, they bought Manchester City, which was a, a, a kind of a traditional yo-yo club where they would be up in the top division, then they'd be down uh, in the second division. We're not considered a particularly pre- historically prestigious club, um, but basically, they spent a bunch of money using you know f- funds from the government, which are largely funds derived from petroleum, uh, to make the club seem really successful. And they, they spent all this money, and it was—I forget what the figure was—but it was you know couple billion dollars in total from the purchase to the construction of a new stadium to the signing of all these star players and things like that. Um, and it got into why they were doing this. And it was so to create the idea that the U- the Emirates government is associated with this championship soccer team that is in this global sport that people around the world will see. And it talked about that investment figure. But then it also mentioned that the investment that they spent on the soccer team pales in comparison to the invest, investment made with the, uh, um, you know, Fly Emirates airline, which, you know, is a, is a lucrative worldwide uh, like kind of luxury airline uh, company. And that they spent billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars on that, far more money than they spent on Manchester City. Um, but the whole idea was to take the Emirates name, slap it on all these fancy planes, have them fly all over the world. And so people that are flying first class somewhere are, man, are seeing, man, the Emirates, they know how to build an airplane. Look at me. I've got, you know, you know, a, uh, a service coming right to my seat. I've got, you know, a huge chair. I can lay down. I can watch all this stuff on television while I'm flying. It's flying in the best experience possible. Um, and it all, it's all goes to show like how much money these governments are willing to spend to change their public image, which largely to most people is seen as this backwards place that is far behind human uh, rights evolutions. And so the, the, the money that they're spending on WWE, and this is Saudi Arabia, this isn't the Emirates, but the game plan is the exact same. The money that they're spending is just, is the, the $50 million is nothing to them uh, because we're talking about, uh, you know, an investment fund that has kind of unlimited resources. It has the wealth of an entire nation backing it. Um, and it, to a degree, it almost can't be calculated. So they're willing to spend so much money, and it's such a. Uh, and WWE is is morally, um, you know, has no problems taking that money. Uh, 
And, and that's uh, WWE is one of the only kind of there are other companies that have done things in Saudi Arabia. There's certainly other soccer players and leagues that have taken money to go to Saudi Arabia and Europe. But, you know, we talked about like Endeavor um, didn't re- Ari Emanuel return a huge investment from the from the Saudi government following the murder of Jamal Khashoggi. Yes. Um, but WWE has been the company that's willing to take that money and look the other way. Um and I'm just looking here. What what is the market cap of let's say Saudi Aramco? It's it's would be one of the biggest businesses in the world. Two trillion dollars when I convert it from Saudi reals to U.S. dollars. Two trillion dollars. So that so for some context, one of the biggest businesses in the world, I believe, are Microsoft, Apple, and Amazon, which are in the trillion range. Yeah. So we're talking about like it's like when we talk about the streamers, we talk about like okay, NBCU has this amount of money, you know, Paramount Plus has this amount of money, and then and then there's you know. Apple and Amazon, which kind of have like unlimited money in a way to spend on on, on rights if they wanted to. Um, Apple is now two point seven six trillion dollars in market cap. Yeah, and the Saudi Arabian government is kind of like that in the sense that they have so much money that Amazon they can spend one point two three trillion. Right, because there's no way that this investment is worth it. Like there's 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 no way that this is a on, a, yeah. va- a value investment, which is oh yeah, it's worth paying WWE fifty million dollars per show for them to have a, a wrestling event. Paul Levesque did say this was the fastest selling ticket event in the history of this relationship. Yeah, I imagine I, I, the Saudi I mean, government is collecting that ticket money, but you know we're probably yeah. talking tens mm-hmm. of thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars on fifty million dollars. What a, what a, what a, what a job Paul Levesque has, right? He's he's in charge of creative, kind of. Still, he's working under Vince again. Vince does. Vince is great. Vince doesn't have to go and, and do the, a speech for in fa- support of the autocratic Saudi government. That's Paul's job now. Damn it! He never did. In fact. Um, what? Vince's hands are clean. He never. He never yeah. did one of these speeches. Yeah. So Paul. Paul. You know, Paul Levesque. He's he's Microsoft is too. Pretend, he's pretend, pretending to still be the head man in charge of creative. Um, did not follow his wife out the door of the company, uh, and now gets to go to Saudi Arabia and lead a MBS chant. Uh, in front of a bunch of people. I, mean, I, I do believe that Paul Vec has probably never had more influence in main roster creative than he has now. But Vince is even Vince before is heavily involved. I think. Well, well he certainly probably had more influence before Vince's formal return to the company. Okay, true. Yes, I would agree with that. Yeah. Before July twenty twenty two. Yes. 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 No. I. I, I, I would the great interregnum. Yeah. <laughs> yes. In between. Uh, okay. Um, but I was, just, I was saying, yeah, yeah I, what, what, what else did I, I posted that, that image comparing the WrestleMania ticket sales and I, and I posted just the video, in fact, of, of the, the video that we just, the, the clip that we just played of Triple H thanking MBS, thanking King, King Salman, thanking the GEA, um, and, uh, very, very strong reactions were, were elicited, um, including people who thought the video was fake, but it's, it, you can find it on W's own official YouTube channel, um. But, you know, some people did, did bring up an interesting point, which was, you know, if you think about it, whether it's journalists who are posting tweets using their iPhones, we've pointed out the problem with the iPhones, or the Saudi government imprisoning citizens for their tweets, you can see that there's concerning problems on both sides when it comes to Twitter. Or, you know, when it, if, I mean, let's talk about the outrage here, too. Uh, whether it's reporters who are pointing out the lucrative relationship between WWE and the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, or certain fans hurling criticisms and insults at reporters for doing so. I think both sides at the end of the day are guilty of selective outrage. Would you agree with that? Uh, no, I, I wouldn't. But it's in, I in, think... in the middle. Every time. The truth well, the truth is, is the truth is right the, in 
the middle. The truth is, a lot of most, even uh, most wrestling fans, don't care at all about the Saudi Arabia deal. They're just just not. So. I, I don't know. If it's even like apathy. It's not or, relevant to them. It's it's just There's below. No, it's, it's way above their their awareness or their right. inquisitiveness. There's no curiosity or interest in it. There's much more interest in like storylines and things like that. And and that's that that's across wrestling in general. Like if you want to go back to the press conference, like people ask questions at the at the AEW press conferences that are kind of kayfabe related or storyline related because that's what they're interested in and that's what their readers or their fans or their listeners to their podcasts are interested in. They're interested in the exploration of, of kayfabe details. Um, they're not interested in you know the larger real story behind the the, enter, the entertainment that they watched. It's um, there are people that that's what their focus is on, and that's why they ask those questions. And I think for a lot of people, is, is that just a sad commentary on on human nature, <laughs> or is that something in particular about wrestling fans? I don't think it's something in particular about wrestling fans. I think it's true for all entertainment. I think most people, I think a lot of people watching, a, let's say, say they're watching a. a um, let's 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 talk about the the flash the upcoming flash movie that's coming out right there's oh, yes. a lot of controversy surrounding Ezra Miller the star of the flash I, i'll be honest i'm not 100% sure what the accusations are against him i don't want to say i don't want to say what the, they aren't but i believe they're they're pretty serious accusations of um some form of sexual misconduct i believe um and there's a lot of people who are like i'm not going to watch the flash i'm not going to support Ezra Miller and and you know the company that is that's going forward with presenting him as a star of this movie. But that's probably a very small percentage of potential moviegoers. I think most moviegoers are going to make a decision based on whether or not they want to see the movie based on how the trailer looks, what the other stars in the movie are like, things like that. I think most people are not going to be looking at from a moral perspective. Should I support this thing or not? Um, and that's just one example. I think with you know any other form of entertainment, most people, the vast majority of the fans of, of whatever it is, it could be a musical artist, it could be a movie, it could be a sports team, are not looking at like the morals of the individuals involved. They're more just in, invested in the entertainment value they derive from it. It's not connected to anything else. I think that's a small but perhaps vocal um, aspect of both the media and fandom. It should be higher for the media, but um, that's... Uh, that's, I guess, a different conversation, right? Um, so, so that's number nine out of eleven. Eleven more to go, twenty total. Uh, be uh, events for the Saudi government. Um, and, and it will be very interesting to see what happens with that renewal. I think it would be like if yeah. the Saudi Arabian government was interested in it before, it would be a slam dunk. But the fact that Ari Emanuel has expressed real hesitancy of making a deal with the Saudi Arabian government. Um, mm-hmm. It would be a bad. It would be bad from a financial perspective um, to uh, to give that up. But perhaps, and again, Endeavor has a deal with uh, the the UAE, right, for Fight Island and, and shows like that. So perhaps WWE could sell themselves to another Middle Eastern country that's looking to do the same thing. Yes. Um, okay. So we'll, we'll be talking about this eleven more times. Uh, if you don't like us, you can criticize us for it. Um, just don't criticize MBS because you might get killed. Um, so we'll move on to uh, – oh, I guess before we move on to another subject, we will acknowledge Super Chat from Bebe who says, new to the channel, nice to hear real talk for a change. Thanks. Appreciate that. Yeah, uh, like I said, I think the only two places that I've seen that I think have covered this, the most recent WWE show, honestly, 
are pure WrestleNomics and, and, and post wrestling and uh, Wade Keller over at the Torch. So uh, we will we'll briefly touch on a little bit of newsworthy information that came from Nick Khan, the WB CEO at the JP Morgan TMT conference uh, on Tuesday. Uh, he said that WWE is still in the exclusive negotiating window for Raw with NBC Universal, but that the exclusive window has ended with Fox for, for SmackDown. So this is a little bit contrary to what, what I've believed in the past, you know, based on things that Nikon had said at the, the earnings call most recently. But so, so SmackDown, they're out of the, the window. They're out of the window for SmackDown, but they're still in the window for Raw with NBC Universal. Um, he basically said that you know hey, we did 3.6x uh, for an increase on TV rights fees uh, in 2018 for the deal that they're currently under, and basically said it's not going to be as great as that deal, but it's still going to be. We're still expecting something great. He said. Um, he said, uh, and feel free to interrupt me because I'm just going to run through this. Uh, he said, though it's hard to imagine. Uh, uh, this is me, me talking. He said we followed the NBA playbook five years ago in wanting in wanting to not have just one exclusive partner for Raw and SmackDown and to split them two ways. Because remember, Raw and SmackDown were both on the USA Network at that time. And now we're looking at the marketplace in its totality and thinking there might be more options than even that. So is he talking about three different homes for Raw and SmackDown? That's hard to imagine. Yet, I I don't know. I spent a little bit of time thinking about this and thought, I don't know. If Fox doesn't keep SmackDown, who are the players? Amazon. He talked. He talked to Am- talked up Amazon again on this conference as he did at the Moffitt Nathanson conference in the prior week. So Amazon, he's clearly trying to woo. NBCU. It's, it's realistic to think about NBCU taking back SmackDown. Um, is there a world in which maybe there's some sort of partnership or deal where Amazon gets some of the rights for 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 a show and a, and a traditional network gets another? form of the rights for, for a show. I don't know. He, he said things to the effect of, you know, we're, we don't see us dealing and splitting out digital rights, though. So um, I don't know how you get to three partners here, unless we're talking about could, NXT, but I don't think NXT has that see, value. Well, he also mentioned in this, I think it was the same JP Morgan discussion where he mentions that he, he reiterates, NXT could be a third branch. doesn't have to be developmental. It could be, you know, a third branch. So it looks like they might be they want to obviously want to sell the idea that NXT could be just as important as Raw and SmackDown and that people should also be interested in NXT. Um, so if, if that's the idea that you could say Raw could be somewhere, SmackDown could be somewhere, NXT could be somewhere else. He also said that NXT uh, ratings are up 20% year over year, which is inaccurate. It's up. It's uh, it's down a little bit in total viewership. But it is up in, in 18 to 49. It's up about 5% year over year in 18 to 49, by the way, that I slice it by looking at the quarters. Is it up in any metric 20% over year? Um, particular demo, and maybe in some like demo it might be. Well, um, I'm Ron, wondering why he said that because well, Raw and SmackDown are up 20 percent in the demo right, but year. NXT, it's not. Um, I don't think so. Like, maybe in I mean, 1834, but I don't have yeah. it in front of me. I think it's, you know, he he said, you know, he said that about NXT. I think um, splitting Raw and SmackDown, like Raw being some weeks on like one network and some weeks on other. I mean, he also mentioned things like, could Raw be run head-to-head with Monday Night Football and NBC right. if they wanted to do that? Uh, let, so let me, let me read, read the quote here. It says, Raw is three hours. We don't anticipate that changing. Uh, but there's internal conversations on the 10 to 11 hour to make it a little more adult-themed. It's something we're discussing internally. Um, he also added that we're still open to a third hour for SmackDown. So if you if you you heard the news about AEW Collision being two hours of additional weekly wrestling content, you figure that's great and that's not enough. 
third hour SmackDown is on the table. Uh, Fox, as it's currently constituted, he said, is a two-hour prime time. So Fox, as people may know, only has prime time window from 8 to 10. It's not like the other networks that have 8 to 11. Uh, so that's the deal that Fox wanted to do four or five years ago. So if it goes somewhere other than Fox, no reason why it couldn't be three hours or eight hours or whatever. Um, yeah, and there's a uh, – it's kind of interesting. Um, I'm trying to think of like a way like – NASCAR has an interesting contract where, uh, if I I have it correctly, it's uh, NBC and Fox both have contracts with NASCAR. And for the first half of the year, they're on one network. And the second half of the year, they're on another network. And they rotate back and forth each year. So one year, NBC will have the first half of the schedule and Fox will have the second half. And the other year... You know, Fox off the first half of the schedule. That's probably a more realistic way to think about it than what I was saying earlier. Yeah, right. So, like, they could do something. I, you know, with NASCAR, it's like one year you get the Daytona 500, which is obviously the biggest race of the year, and then the other partner gets the playoffs. You know, the 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 chase for the cup. And Uh, isn't March Madness something like that too? Where I know CBS and T and Turner, WBD, they have rights, but though they they alternate what they have, and certainly the Super Bowl alternates year year to year. Mm I'm not sure. I feel like CBS always has the the championship game and things like that. The Super Bowl does alternate between the the four uh, or the three network partners, right? Something alternates. Maybe it's the NBA final. I don't know. NBA finals are always on ABC. Um, But yeah, the the Super Bowl does. The Super Bowl, you know, one year will be on Fox, next year NBC, the year after that ESPN slash ABC. And then I think it goes back to Fox and and NBC or CBS. Yeah. so that, that could happen. I mean, here, here's the, I think everything that kind of said the last few weeks that we've kind of discussed here all stems back to the idea of he wants to create the idea that WWE is flexible. WWE is willing to do kind of anything that any prospective broadcast partners want them to do. You want the show just to be longer. They can be longer. If you want them to be shorter, they can be shorter. You want, you know, NXT to be a, a third brand with main roster stars. We could do that. We could put more stars on NXT. If you people want it, if your buyer wanted that, we could. You don't want Raw. You want Raw, but you don't have space on Monday night. Raw could be on Tuesday night. We're not married to that idea. So that everything he says is 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 selling the idea that WWE is willing to work with whatever any prospective streaming partner or, or network partner wants them to do, which is smart. That's what you should do when you're selling a product is sell the idea that you're flexible. Is Vince McMahon really that flexible? Is, 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 would, would they entertain, seriously entertain the idea of Raw moving off of Monday night? Would it be a, even a good idea to move Raw off Monday night? I'm not sure, but it seems like that's kind of everything he says. You know, oh, you know, the 10, 11 hour could be more mature. It could be a different rating. If that's what the broadcast partner would want, that, then I'm sure they would accommodate that. Um, but I, I take this all as, you know, he's trying to give off the idea that WWE is willing to work with whatever any prospective buyer wants them to do, um, which obviously yeah, is trying and, and to I think when, it, when it comes to things like, well, what, could Raw really move off of Monday? Well, if you pay them, there's a, there's a premium to make that happen, I think. Um, that's where you get Right, for it. the right business partner, they'll do anything. Right. Um, what do you – like, here's – what do you think of like a more mature WWE product even looks like? Like a, like a TV 14. We're talking adult themed. Yeah. What does that even mean? Blood, maybe in certain situations. Blood for um, sure. I think blood for sure. Blood's under, like the under, only. Vince, under Vince, it gets very um, mm-hmm. hazardous, I think. Uh, I think blood, in, blood and swearing. Yeah. I, I think honestly, 
this is going to sound crazy because of what the general narrative is that PG is ruined WWE or whatever. I think going to a more mature theme would be a, a hindrance to WWE. Uh, outside of blood and you know maybe swearing, but I think they would be. I think it would be, be a bad thing for WWE. I think they'd be focused on gr- more gross-out humor. I think there'd be a lot more like sex storylines. I think it would probably not be a positive for for women performers. I think there'd be a lot more um, poorly done, poor taste uh, storylines really, and characters. What, what is what is Mattel's stomach really for things like that? And what it, what is what is the the reaction from advertisers? And it's just something that mm-hmm. we always hear alluded to or theorized. And we just don't know firsthand, and I don't have a great grasp. Like, but the, the the notion is always that well, they can't do blood and violence and things like this because they do action figures through Mattel, and that's a really valuable partnership. And you want to have kids to be able to, you know, parents buy action figures for their kids, so you got to have a PG product. Um, how important is that? I don't know, but it's yeah. it's certainly to some degree it is. But I, I just think from a quality standpoint, I don't think Vince McMahon's vision of a more mature themed wrestling show is going to be better than what it is now. I think in a lot of ways being hamstrung by not being able to do as much as maybe they have been able to do in the past, the product is a little bit better. It's certainly more respectful to women uh, than it was 15 or 20 years ago. Um, Maybe that's just an inherent sign of our culture, but I would be very concerned if, if I would be concerned about what a like a more mature themed WWE product is. On UK rights, UK fans alert, um, UK media partner Sky was disappointed, uh, he said, with the lack of televised events in the UK, and that's something that they, they are addressing in, in, with Clash the Castle, Money in the Bank in London. Um, yeah, they've been doing Raw and SmackDown at the O2 for all those years, but in terms of really big events, obviously they hadn't done a big pay-per-view there since SummerSlam 1992. Um, he seemed to be pushing the idea that Sky is, is going to be a bidder along with current partner BT Sport uh, for the next round, so that... The UK deal, I believe, will expire like three months after the US deal. So that'd be at the very end of 2024, which will be the next priority along with the India deal after they're done with US deals. Um, on recruiting, I, my, my ears went up when he said this, that the, you know, under the previous recruiting strategy, he said, quote, it was mining the independent wrestling territories to find the next great WWE superstar. So soon that we mined a lot of that. And yes, there will be stars that continue to come out of there. He went on to talk about the great NIL program. Um, a l- little bit of a moderation in, in Nick Khan's tone here on recruiting, where he, I, to my maybe sensitive ears on this subject, he's been more dismissive of independent wrestling and, and whether that's a real source for talent. Um, that being said, I would really agree that independent wrestling has been mined, not just by WWE, but by AEW and I almost had like a flash of thought watching the pay-per-view in the building last night during that anarchy in the arena match and thinking about, you know, all these, almost all these wrestlers, I guess with the exception of Moxley and Cesaro, Cesaro, uh, Claudio were on the, on the, on the independence, not that many years ago, or at least you could book them, you know, ring of honor could book them, let's say. And now they're all that, that being a, a symbol of what's, what's happened. Uh, the, the independent wrestling has really been mined. And I think, I don't want to get into a long discussion about the U.S. Indies, but I think that's what's happened. It's not like something inherently wrong with, with the independent wrestling scene as much as it's been harvested. And I don't know if that if, if that's if it's ever going to get better, but or if this is just sort of the appropriate valuation and, and evaluation of, of that talent. 
on the uh, on the NXT Battleground show. Did you watch it? All right, and enjoy. Let it. me do a let me do uh, hold on. Let me do a quick. Uh, I want to do a quick count here, but I wanted to ask you like. I'm looking at this card because, and we talked about you know NXT. Uh, NXT is obviously they, they pivoted very strong a couple of years ago. They got rid of a lot of like the independent wrestlers or whatever, and, and focused a lot more on WWE homegrown talents. And whether it's people who they're signing off NIL deals or they're just college athletes that they've recruited after their you know college playing days were over. Um, and the in the in the show NXT, the television show, it often has a lot of like green inexperienced wrestlers on it with the idea that it's being a true developmental show. But I'm looking at this battleground card and let me ask you this, Brandon, let me, how many of these wrestlers on battleground? It appears, uh, looks like there's about, there's about 15 wrestlers on the show in total in matches. How many of those wrestlers do you think were WWE trained wrestlers? What do you mean by that? Wrestlers who were, um, this is a you problematic know, categorization. I've just got that were that were that were that were trained and developed by WWE and did not have substantial independent wrestling experience. If, if, if I'm writing the filings, all of them are ours. We trained all of them in the Performance Center. You're welcome. The, um, what I'm saying is, like, I've done research projects like this in, in the past, and it gets really hard to to draw an objective line. You, we all know what we're trying to talk about. I'm not trying to say that what you're talking about isn't meaningful. It is, but it's really hard to draw that line because it's, there's a gradient. And it's 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 harder to draw it black and right. white. Who is I, okay? I want to say like, did you have X number of matches that we can find in cage matches? Not a complete record, mm-hmm. you know. But we have to lean on things like that. All right. Well, how many of the 15 wrestlers do you think are are people that were signed without substantial independent wrestling experience? Substantial. Uh, half of them so it's four out of 15 who had or ha- didn't have have uh have, have i mean four out of the 15 wrestlers were trained by wwe basically. okay okay so then this is again the new nxt right mm-hmm. but i don't know if it's shifting or not because i'm looking at this card so i'd say the creed brothers are trained by wwe for sure um tiffany stratton trained by wwe for sure and braun breaker Trained from WWE for sure. The rest of the names on these card on the card all to me had very substantial pre um, WWE experience. You know, Wesley, uh, Joe Gacy, Tyler Bate. Those guys were all in the independents for years. Noam Dar, Dragon Lee, obviously from Mexico. Um, yeah. Ilya Dragunov and Dijak, both you know substantial years on the independents. Dallas, obviously, are veterans from from the UK. Uh, Lyra Valkyra um, was a wrestler on Ireland for a number of years before getting signed by WWE. And Carmelo Hayes obviously was a had a, had a few years on the New England Independent. So it's not even that to me. Those are those are pretty clear cut, not training people. You know, I was, I was um, thinking during the press conference last night too that that un, un, the class of the uncharted territory talent. Uh, we've got MJF, Orange Cassidy, Chris Statlander, Carmelo Hayes, Brandon Thurston. All, all have gone on to do great things. What, what can you say? Well, I was there. I was gonna before you include yourself. I was gonna say they were all working with a very good uh, veterans that could that could teach them the solid oh. fundamentals that they would need. I don't think I worked with any of those people, but they're very you know they're very talented. Yeah. Well, you know, you're in the back, you're in the <laughs> locker room, or, or whatever. I mean, well, it goes to show you know where the Indies were, and especially where you know Beyond Wrestling was with 
in the Northeast in general with finding talent. Um, obviously, I think the Create a Pro um, kind of yeah. cl- early class uh, has gone on to be very successful as far as, um, you know, training talents. A lot of it is some of these people, like some people are going to be generationally talented, like MJF is. Um, but I, th- I don't know. I was looking at that. I thought it was kind of interesting. It felt more like a, and obviously it's gotten great reviews, the, the Battleground show so far, but um, it feels like you look at that, it feels more like the earlier NXT takeover events, which were obviously stuffed with, you know, veteran indie wrestlers going out and having their best matches possible. And this one seems closer um, to that. Okay. I'm showing the AEW pay-per-views I wanted to show. Yeah. It, it, NXT Battleground is sitting at a nine, over a nine rating. And it will probably uh, get a little bit lower, but it'll... Ilya Dragunov and Dijak was the highest rated match on cage match history for a period of time last night. Um, it has since fallen down to a, uh, a 9.43 after 155 votes. Um, I'll have to watch it um, for sure. Um, okay. But yeah, to get back to that, I brought that up just because I think like it goes into like Nick Khan. I think they're, I wonder if they're going to make a sincere attempt at making NXT seem like more of a viable third brand if they believe that it is more valuable that way to market it um, uh, when, when its rights fees get negotiated. Like you, you've been pretty bearish on NXT's value on USA at the moment. Um, could they turn that into something? We know that their viewership really did not fare very well when they did the hard reset to NXT 2.0 and, and changed everything. Um, and, you know, obviously lost a lot of their key wrestlers like Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano and um, Keith Lee and these people, but can they, can they, is there some way to get that back to make NXT a more viable television entity week to week, as opposed to just this bizarre, you know, developmental thing where people are testing out wacky gimmicks. I am not optimistic. Um, we do have a super chat from Delmar who asks, shouldn't Raw's total viewers be improving with the surge of 18 to 49 when Monday Night Football starts and takes a bite out of 18 to 49? We're looking at 1.4s. I guess we're talking about 1.4 million. Um, 18 to 49 is up more strongly than total viewership. Um, I don't think that like P50 Plus is, is way down, though. Um, his total viewership is up for both Raw and SmackDown as well. Yeah, yeah and I, I mean... I mean, in, in 18, that I, that I post every every week with the chart and the year year differences by quarter at the bottom. And eighteen to forty nine is what they uh, they lost in, in in a tremendous amount in the previous few years. So it makes sense that if the product improves or people get uh, more into the WWE, the people that are coming back are going to be uh, disproportionately people in eighteen to forty nine. If that's what the people that they were turning off uh, at a higher rate, thirty four um, is up even more. Yes, they're the the new characters are, are are reaching new people. I don't know if it's you know it's Cody, it's Sami Zayn, it's the Bloodline stuff, it's Dominic Mysterio, um, whatever's happened, you know, whatever you want to attribute it to, it's obviously reaching a new audience, a younger audience. Maybe it's maybe it's you know Logan Paul and Bad Bunny bring in more attention to the product. Um, I wouldn't rule that out, but you'd have to look at, they're doing something to appeal to a younger demographic. Maybe it was just a period of time where Vince McMahon wasn't fully in charge and someone a little bit closer to their demographic and Triple H was running the show. So just to quantify it, 18 to 49 for Raw and SmackDown, both up 20%. Raw's up 22%. SmackDown up 20%. And if we look at the younger half of the demo, 30%. Raw is up 30% on this quarter. NXT is up 55%. So there you go. Maybe that's... (laughs) 
Jesus, 55%. Uh, and again, this is the younger half of the demo, 18 to 34 in Q2. Right. Uh, and if you look at the bottom of those columns, which we go back a few years to see yes. what they were losing, it's almost proportional to what they've been gaining. And then um, some of this is in the, the prime of the pandemic here is what we're, mm-hmm. we see these 50% losses. This is in, you know, late 2020, early 2021. Yeah. And that's also probably a, a cause, you know, the, the, the weather certainly pre Thunderdome, um, but even during the Thunderdome, it was a tough watch. And a lot of people just had no interest in watching wrestling when there was no crowd to make noise. And maybe it took a little bit of time for those people to come back. Maybe it took a storyline gaining some traction or, or a new wrestler debuting in the company to bring some of those people back. But that's also probably a factor that people tuned it out during the pandemic and are kind of slowly made their way back as they've, they've gained interest. And the, uh, whether the uh, audience noise is organic or not, the, the, the atmosphere for WWE shows is way better than it was even pre-pandemic. Like, I don't think people realize, like, if you go back like 2019, 2018, the absolute apathy that the audience had for a lot of wrestlers and the kind of lack of, of truly organically over specifically baby faces in the company. Yeah. Now project rewatching the pandemic era. I mean, pan- I'm, I, 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 the pandemic, I have no interest, but if you go back and watch like now, now you go to a WWE show and the, and the audience feels, you, if you watch a WWE show, the audience feels way more into a lot of the people on the card. They're not just popping for one name. They're more into uh, a variety of wrestlers. Um, and there's probably a number of reasons for that, but the atmosphere is a lot better, which I think helps obviously sell the product. Okay. I think that's all I have. I think we've done all the super chats. You want to, you got a, a, like a minute to get, to get one in right now, if you want. Um, I think that's it. Um, you got anything to, to add, Jesse, anything to plug any um, other topics you, you want to bring up here? You didn't go over, we didn't go over the United center ticket sales. United center ticket sales. Uh, I think I have the wrestle, wrestle tick spreadsheet out, out here. Mm-hmm. Uh, United center is on June 17th at in Wait. Chicago, Illinois. And the latest WrestleTix number, I don't know if he's posted this, I apologize if I'm, if I'm jumping ahead here, 6,526 is the latest count in the spreadsheet from WrestleTix, 6,526 for, I mean, what did they put in, in here uh, for the first dance, 14,000 or so? Mm-hmm. Was there, um, yeah, so that's that's the attendance, and those t- they announced the United Center on Wednesday, and then yes. tickets, you know, pre-sale started pretty Obviously, soon after that, it was only a few days ago. Um, was there any CM Punk vibes at at Double or Nothing last night? Was the crowd chanting for us? There were some some negative CM Punk signs I could make out in the audience, but was there I, any I saw some people of... around in, in CM Punk merch, but there mm-hmm. was there were no other CM Punk vibes. Yes, um, interesting. Uh, yeah, I know because like I, I'm really curious to know more about like the the audience because. I don't, again, I don't know if it could have been a crowd micing issue. Um, the crowd wasn't that hot for the middle part of the show. They were hot for the last few matches. Yeah. They were hot for the Battle Royal. Uh, they were hot for the biggest moments mm-hmm. in the middle of the show, but really not that hot for everything in between. I think what you heard you, on, on the telecast is, is basically what was happening. Do you think there were too many gimmick matches on this show? I think there was not enough emotional investment in, in enough of the card. And maybe there's something to, uh, to Tim B's point about putting a lot of wrestlers in a few matches, especially the key matches at the end that spread the talents that people care about a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Your best wrestlers. Um, 
really, for sure. Like, if you look at who have had the best matches in AEW history, it's a very disproportionate number of people that were in that Anarchy in the Arena match. Um, Wheeler Utah, was the Anarchy- another, another Uncharted Territory alumni. Yeah. Um, was, the, um, was the Anarchy in the Arena match difficult at all to watch live? There were people popping for stuff, and I was like, what are they popping for? I mean, they saw what was happening. I was like, mm-hmm. I didn't know what was happening at times. <laughs> I was it back sounds like kind of, with media during that time. It does sound like a you know a unique experience to see live. Did yeah. you get that vibe? Like it's yeah, different. There's like two, uh, two to three things happening at once throughout this arena. Yeah. And, and it, I would you know on one hand you can look wherever you want, so it's a different experience versus what's happening on TV where you have to watch whatever they're showing you. I guess, um, but just mm-hmm. a lot of moments where that where there suddenly there was a pop. So some enough people. Th- to make a pop happen that I just didn't know what they were popping for. I was seated back down where the media section was. So this is in like mm-hmm. the 100s directly opposite the, the entrance way. So I probably didn't have the greatest vantage point as opposed to people who are up on high. Yeah. It's interesting to me because we, we've talked about this before, the idea of like having a signature match that you can take. Place you could once see stuff on the screen too for yeah. we were seated by the way. What we talked about, like having a signature match, that could take place in the pay-per-view every year that fans would be invested in seeing because the reputation of that match type is very high, similar to the Royal Rumble or, or Money in the Bank. And could anarchy in the arena being an annual thing, a double or nothing? Um, I'll tell you what, it's cost effective. You don't have to to set up a giant structure that costs a hundred thousand dollars or whatever to, to set up every time. Mm-hmm. And they have, um, could that be, could this be a, a, a consistent selling point for the pay-per-view? Um, irregardless of uh, star power in the match, necessarily, like not irregardless, have, but, but I think it's 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 it started to develop a valuable brand, if you will. Right, and that I think in the long term is very good. If there's, you know, we've had two of these matches; they both seem to be, have been very well received. Um, next year, could you have an anarchy in the arena that maybe has a little less star power in it, and that star power is in a better other positions in the card, but people are are into Anarchy in the Arena pretty much just as much as they are this year because Anarchy in the Arena, the match type, is the star um, of the show and, and not necessarily, you know, because John Moxley and Kenny Omega are in it. Maybe. Um, yeah, I had one more question about um, the show, um, but I, I seem to have lost my train of thought thinking about well, Anarchy well, in the well, Arena. While you're, while you're thinking of that, I am... So I have to get a ride to the airport soon so i will well i guess usually i would have the audio up by six anyway so i have a, I have a long layover on the way home today i'll probably get the get the audio mm-hmm. version of this podcast no that, that no flight no flight direct to vegas i live in buffalo new york and not exactly an airport hub yeah but i feel like vegas vegas has so many flights to and from so where's where's your layover o'hare in chicago um, yeah. but I, I did fly from Chicago to Las Vegas. I was, I did have, I was on alert to see if, if Phil Brooks was on my flight and I don't believe he was. So, uh, there is like one direct flight from Buffalo to, to Las Vegas, but I did I'm, I, it was like he really expensive or I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I didn't get it. Um, all right. No, well then I'll let you, we'll, we'll, we'll sign off then, I guess if you, we don't want to miss you, have you miss your flight. We're okay. Cause my, my, my ride isn't for like another 45 minutes. Okay. I, I've so tightly timed this whole this whole trip. Um, actually, I had a lot of time yesterday to just wander around. You were living but it up on the strip. I was spending a lot of money on 
expensive. N- not great food, but expensive food. <laughs> I, sp- I spent like $30 on coffee and breakfast this morning. Something did you, like did you have any uh... – did you meet meet anyone in the industry while you were in Vegas? I met some some people from Wrestling Inc. I met uh, you know I met people I've met before. Um, I met, saw Dominic D'Angelo again. Uh, I saw I met Steve Fall for the first time. We had a, we had a nice conversation for a My while. My good friend Steve Fall. Your friend Steve Fall. Um, His thick North Shore accent. I saw Denise Salcedo again. Um, probably other people I'm leaving out. Yeah, it was, a, it was a nice time. All right. We'll be back at the normal time on uh, next next. – I'm actually – I will not be here next Sunday. Okay. Are you renegotiating your contract? I am, I am. I will be in Rhode Island. Okay. All righty. We'll talk to you next week, Sunday, at 11 a.m. at the normal time for WrestleMania Radio. We appreciate everybody um, listening and supporting and super chatting and subscribing and helping make these uh, weekends possible. I hope it's uh, it's adding some value for you and just so i get to get in there and ask a question and stuff like that and hopefully give you a little bit better coverage and vantage point of what happened on the weekend so appreciate it talk to you next time bye bet mgm has an unreal deal for sports fans in virginia turn five dollars into 150 dollars instantly when you place your first wager at bet mgm simply download the bet mgm app and sign up using code champion 150 then Place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager. Only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.